Good luck. <laughs> hey, we're in John 11, and uh, this is a story of Lazarus. It's a, it's a great story. It's an incredible story. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you uh, in just a moment. But before we do, i got something else that I want to uh, share with you uh, before we move into the sermon, and that is that this past Monday afternoon, uh, we had a really special event uh, in our family. Uh, our daughter, Izzy, uh, uh, decided to be baptized. And so uh, Kelly and I baptized uh, Izzy on Monday um, morning, afternoon, Monday afternoon, um, and it was it was really, really a sweet time. Uh, it was great for us to have that moment as a, as a family where we're thinking about uh, what it all means to follow Jesus, and uh, Izzy's uh, faith and, and all that has been a testimony to us this last week, uh, and I hope it is for you too. And I hope that uh, if you're in a place where you're thinking about giving your life to the Lord, then I, I hope that you'll uh, consider taking that next step. All of us have a next step, and for some of us, it's just the step of beginning to study and learn a little bit more about who Jesus is. For some of us, uh, it's the step of we've been following Jesus for many years, but he's calling us out to something that uh, requires a little bit greater faith. Or some of us, uh, it's the step of giving up something in our life that we need to get rid of. Or some of us, it's engaging in some form of... All of us, all of us have a next step. For Izzy, she decided that her next step, and that's what she said. She said, I want to take the next step in following Jesus. And her next step was to follow the Lord and be baptized baptized and accept his grace and salvation in that way. Um, and for some of you, that may be where you're at too. And I want to encourage you to think about it. Uh, and uh, I want to encourage you not just to think about it, but just to, to do it. Take that step. Um, I, I have never in my life regretted taking a step for Jesus. I've regretted a lot of steps, okay? But the ones where I took because I felt like that was where Jesus was calling me, I've never regretted one of those steps in my whole life. Our story is in John uh, 11. It's the story of Lazarus, and uh, I'm uh, really excited. It's a, it's, uh, John tells the story, and he kind of puts all these different layers uh, into it. It begins uh, when John, uh, John shows how uh, this man Lazarus, who was the brother of, a man, of two sisters named Mary and Martha, uh, and he has fallen sick, and so far in the story, there's nothing unusual. They realize that he's uh, direly sick. Now, we don't really know why. We don't know what kind of sickness he has, but it's something that they realize he's in trouble. He's really in trouble, and uh, it looks as though he will lose his life, and so they send word to Jesus, okay? They send word to Jesus, Jesus hears this, uh, hears about Lazarus being sick, and he tells his disciples something. It's fascinating. It, uh, it almost seems like it is untrue as the story develops, but uh, this is what he says. He says, when, and this is chap John chapter 11, verse 4. When he heard this, in other words, that he was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. I don't see how Jesus said that with a straight face, by the way, okay? Um, because, as we know, Lazarus does indeed die in the story. But it turns out, death is not the most important word in that sentence, though. And what's the most important word? End, right? So this, this sickness does not end in death, although the road is going to go through it. 
And so uh, he says, this sickness will not end in death. And he says this instead. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And I want to pick up that note for just a second before we move into the rest of the story because uh, it's a theme that we hear all through John. One of the advantages of studying books like we are with John right now, and uh, we're doing it here in our sermon space and then also uh, in our classes that are right after worship, uh, one of the advantages to doing that is you begin to pick up on themes that run through the stories. And it may not be the dominant part of any one story, but you start paying attention to the book as a whole, and you start hearing things like the glory of God, right? Wasn't that also what he said about the blind man in John chapter 9, right? That he didn't happen because that, that, that he had not been born blind because he had sinned or something like that, or his parents had sinned. Remember his disciples asking that question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither, so that the glory of God would be revealed in his life. Well, that glory theme actually shows up all through the book. And if you're paying attention, you hear the thread uh, of God revealing his glory. And that may sound like something that is just um, so uh, extraordinary that it's miles away from us. But it turns out that when Jesus is saying that, sometimes it is some extraordinary event, but it often just starts off in ordinary ways. The glory of God, the nature of God being revealed in the world usually begins with some ordinary little happenstance. But then the way that people respond to it shows God's glory. In fact, as this story develops, I think it gives us a little bit of a, uh, maybe a paradigm of the way that we can understand God's glory. Because God's glory seems like a little bit too big of a word for me. Okay, When we think about the glory of God, we're talking about a concept so big and so beyond our understanding generally that I need a little help breaking that down into something a little, a little more concrete. And today I want to offer, as we tell the story of Lazarus, I want to offer uh, three other words, uh, three other more familiar, a little bit more down-home kind of words about that show how the, glory, how the glory of God is revealed in Lazarus's story and also in ours too. Let's start with faith. Faith is all through this story. Um, and as, as the story develops from here, uh, Jesus actually remains kind of camped out where he is. And he waits a couple of days, and then he goes, uh, he goes on into the city. Okay, He goes on into the city of Bethany, where, which is outside of uh, Jerusalem, where, um, uh, where Lazarus and his sisters lived. And when he goes back there, he, has, uh, he, he finds out that Lazarus is has died. Actually, he knew that before. In fact, uh, he earlier, before he goes back to the city, he tells the disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I go there to awaken him. And his disciples are like, oh, well, if he's asleep, he's going to be fine. You know? <laughs> it's one of those comical parts of the story, right? Like, they're like, 
And it, the story has already told us that his disciples are afraid to go back since, since they're going back right at the edge of Jerusalem and they know for a fact that people in Jerusalem are, are trying to kill him. The disciples are totally fine staying out of there. So when Jesus says, uh, when, when, when he gets word and they say, they're like, yeah, it's okay if we stay. He'll probably be all right. You know, they find out, Jesus, they find out that Lazarus is sleeping and they're like, you know, Lord, Let's just let him be. Let's just see how this, you know, see, these things just run their course, Lord, right? And so it says that Jesus just said, tells them flatly. And I, I, this is absolutely one of those funny, meant-to-be-funny parts of the Bible. Jesus says, look, he's dead, okay? All right, so come on, let's go. And they start to head off, and Thomas, who, by the way, gets a bad rap for some things that are going to happen later, later in the story, doubting Thomas, right? Okay? Thomas stands up and says, after, like, because Jesus is going to Bethany, he says, well, if he's going to go, we might as well go and die with him. Right? I've got to give Thomas a little credit for that one, I think. All right? He says, okay, into the hornet's nest we go. Let's go follow him. And so they go to the, they go to the town, and when they're there, um, or as they hear that, or, or as the people in the town hear that Jesus is approaching, Martha, one of the sisters, runs out to meet him on the outskirts of town. She has this interaction with Jesus that's super important to the story. When Martha, this is verse 10, when Martha, or uh, verse 20 rather, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She says, or Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. We're going to come back to that bit in a second. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. The story is going to go on from there, but let's stop for a moment and realize that Martha, at this point in the story, in this moment in her grief, her deep grief, what she's articulating is a deep faith in Jesus. She's saying that she believes, even though in this particular moment she hasn't really seen anything at this time to make her believe that, but she says that she believes that he is indeed the Messiah. And Martha's faith in Jesus as the sent one is the most important part of their relationship to him at this point, right? It's their belief that he really is the one sent from God. John has been working on us to believe that the whole time. 
And when he comes to this story, of course the people who are at the center of this story are people who have a deep faith in Jesus. And I want to say that it's important to see that their faith in Jesus goes back before this story. It's hard to make faith spring up from the ground in the moment of grief. I want you to hear this. When people mourn and when people grieve, they often realize that they wish they had the faith they need to get them through that moment. Martha here is drawing on a faith, not that she's trying to start right there in a quick moment. She's drawing from a faith that's been developed over from Jesus from earlier in her life. We have other stories, right, about Mary and Martha, when they, the way they responded. In fact, when she, Martha is going to send word for her sister and tell her to come too, and you know what she says here? She says, um, after, the, after she said this, after she said she believed, she said she went back and called her sister Mary aside, and this is what she said. The teacher is here and is asking for you. And Mary doesn't say, uh, which teacher? Uh, who are you talking about? Right? Because in Mary and Martha's life, there's only one person who is the teacher. The teacher is asking for you, right? That tells you something about their relationship to Jesus beforehand, right? They had already come to the place where Jesus was the one who they believed in. So when they come to this story, everything that they're doing is responding to the faith that they already had in Jesus and trying to make sense of their grief and their faith altogether. Faith takes a lifetime to nourish. It needs to be planted and watered and taken care of over time for the moment in which you need it. Um, I had a great experience last fall. I got to spend some time with uh, Dr. Kent Brantley. Um, some of you guys know him as the guy, the guy that got Ebola. Okay, he was working as a, a missionary a doctor um, and was working at an Ebola clinic. He ended up uh, contracting the disease, had to be like uh, brought back into the States, uh, went and was like quarantined by the CDC over at Emory Hospital in Atlanta. Um, and, and was, was on death's door, okay? I mean, was, was about to, was, was going to die. Look, felt for sure that he was going to die. Um, and uh, I was in this, we were, we were in this group conversation, and um, Randy Harris was kind of interviewing him for this prayer, prayer group that I'm, I'm a part of, and he, was, uh, he said, he said what, what made you, like when you realized that there was a, uh, that in your community where you were working as a doctor, there was an outbreak of Ebola, okay? 
He said, all, this thing just happens so fast. All of a sudden, um, there's one person that has the disease, and then there's ten that have the disease. And he said, this thing just grew out of nowhere, and you, you guys took your regular hospital work and then created <coughs> this uh, Ebola clinic to be able to, to work in this village. He said, how long did it take you to make the decision to open that Ebola clinic? And Dr. Brantley said, my whole life. He said, everything that I had done up until my life in trying to follow Jesus led me to the place when it was that time to make that decision, that was the only thing we could do. The faith that he needed in that moment was there because it had been cultivated through a life of devotion to Jesus. That doesn't mean it wasn't a hard decision. That doesn't mean there weren't consequences from that decision and made, made some hard life, right? But it meant that all of the groundwork to, to coming to that crisis had been laid beforehand. Randy often says in our meetings, he says, and sometimes what we're doing in our work of prayer is we are preparing for we know not what. We are preparing the ground that will sustain us in the something that is coming. Because all of us have something that is coming. The story also contains not just this great faith of Martha uh, and Mary as well, but it contains a lot of hope too. And hope's a tricky thing in this story because their initial hope is very clearly articulated and dashed and has to be given to them again. Both Mary and Martha say the exact same thing when they come out to meet Jesus as he approaches their city. Okay, Let's, uh, let's read it in, in uh, Mary's version, okay? which is in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Martha, earlier in the story, she said literally the exact same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So when they first sent word to Jesus that, Jesus, that Lazarus was sick, what were they hoping for? They were hoping for a miracle, right? They were hoping... Um, that Jesus would come and he would take Lazarus and, and pull him up out of his bed and that he would go back to his normal life. And, and they were hoping for him to be healed of his sickness, of his disease. And the other people in the community were hoping for that too, right? You hear them saying and muttering to themselves, could not the man who had opened the eyes of the blind man, could not he have kept, you know, kept this man from dying, Right? And so that's their hope in the beginning part of this story, is that Jesus will come and Jesus will use his healing powers and that he will keep Lazarus from dying. And to understand hope and the role that it plays in his story, you have to understand that the thing that Mary and Martha hoped for didn't happen. 
<clears throat> it's a story, at first, of disappointment. In fact, that disappointment leads them to question or leads other people in the community to actually question Jesus. And disappointment does that, man. Disappointment is insidious. It really gets under your skin. And when you experience something in your life that's deeply disappointing, you want to cry out to God and say, God, come on. I've hoped you could fix this thing for me. I thought for sure. Many, many people lose their faith or have their faith seriously challenged because they go through some sort of crisis and they have hope for the way that Jesus is going to defeat that thing in them and then they get into the middle of it. It doesn't happen like they, like they hope. They don't know what to do on the other side of it. I, I love that this story gives us a picture into that with Mary and Martha. They're in the middle of that messy part where their hope has been disappointed, but they still have faith. They still believe in Jesus. They still believe in him as the Messiah. But they're having to rethink the things that they are hoped for. I want to share something about false hope for a second. I'm not sure that this is always true. But I think a common thread many times in hopes that turn out to be false hopes is that they are too small. Now, most people think it works the other way. They think that false hope is that thing that you are hoping for that is so big that it's impossible, and you're just going to get disappointed because the thing that you were hoping for was just out of reach. And that's probably true for some kinds of hope. But when we're talking about Jesus, the kinds of hope that turn out to be disappointments often turn out to be hopes that were set too small to begin with. See, they hope Jesus can keep him from dying. But the truth is, Jesus intends to raise him from the dead. They were hoping for the small miracle. I think part of what happens in this story is an expansion of hope. The things that I hope for on a daily basis are mostly the things that will just get me through the day or get me uh, out of some sort of conflict or get me uh, you know, into next week. But I believe that hope in Jesus is meant to put my eyes on the big picture things, on the big things that Jesus is doing on the world, in the world. I hope that somebody will quit making some stupid decision. Jesus hopes that the entire world will come to him. I hope that a couple of people will stop fighting. Jesus trains me to hope that the entire universe comes to peace. I hope for some law to be passed that'll make some part of our society better. Jesus teaches me to hope for a universe that bows the knee to Lord God Almighty. My hopes are too small 
And my small hopes often are false hopes. They're things where I hope this, and I really think it's the way I see my little world working, but Jesus is training me to think about the way that the whole universe works out. You see the difference? See, they had come into this story, and they believed, they hoped that their sick brother would get better. But Jesus is teaching them to have a hope that believes dead men can walk out of tombs. This story about faith and hope, though, is really just setting the stage for the greatest of these. It's a story about love. Did you notice the words that they use when they first send word about Lazarus' sickness? What is it that they say? You guys look at the beginning of the chapter. Tell me, what did, what did they say to Jesus? Lord, what? You guys are you open up. Come on now. <laughs> What's that? The one you love is sick. In fact, later on in the story, you guys know that after, um, after, Martha, or, or after Mary confronts Jesus and says her, her part, you, you could have kept him from being sick, right? Shortly after that, we have the shortest verse in the Bible. All you guys doing your like, memory verses as kids, remember, Jesus weeps, right? Jesus falls and, 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 and begin, he grieves what's happening in this moment. And what is it that the crowd says when they see Jesus doing that? They say, ah... Look at how much he loved him. Everything that we learn about faith and hope in this story has to be seen in the context of Jesus' great love for Lazarus and for Mary and for Martha and their great love for Jesus too, right? You remember also at the introduction of the story, it says, oh, that Mary was the one that fell down and at Jesus' feet and washed his, washed his feet with her hair and with the perfume, right? Well, that happens right after this story. In the beginning of chapter 12, that's going to be a part of our class time today, okay, is Mary falling down. And what, what does that mean? It means this story is kind of bookended. It's the beginning and the end. Uh, G, uh, John tells this story with a picture of Mary's love for Jesus. Do you know, there's, a, there's kind of a weird little turn in this story from here. And I'm just going to throw this out. This is not really a, uh, I'm, we're not going to write paper, academic papers about this or anything today, okay? But you know, there's a character that starts being, a, a name for a character that starts showing up after this story. It's pretty famous. It's a pretty famous feature of the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, the one that we say is the one written by uh, that apostle, Jesus, Right? But you probably know, you guys may have t picked up on this at some point in your study, that John actually never shows up, right? We've seen some other, we've seen Philip, we've seen Peter, okay? We've seen Thomas, we've seen a couple of the other uh, disciples along the way, but John is never mentioned so far in the story. But a lot of people notice that later on in the story, there's a character who is often in John's place. And what does the gospel call him? What does it call him? the beloved disciple. But interestingly, there's another line of argument about that. 
that it might represent somebody else in the story, because it never really says. That phrase, the beloved disciple, only shows up after the story of Lazarus. The one whom you love is sick. See how he loved him. And from then on in the story, whether it's John or Lazarus, I don't really know. But from then on, we see Jesus being accompanied closely by a beloved disciple. This story, faith and hope, is something that we have. We also have love for Jesus. But the most important part of this story, the most important part of any story, the most important part of your story is the relentless love of Jesus. Before you open your eyes, put your feet on the floor this morning, Jesus was pouring out love for you. And on your way to church this morning, Jesus' heart was full of love for you. While you sat and sang songs, Jesus' love was pouring out love on you, on your heart, on your soul, on your being, on everything you are. When you sat at the table, you come and you join the Jesus who has been loving you all morning long. Jesus' love will go with you all through the rest of this day. It'll go into the night. And while you're dreaming about who knows what, Jesus will be loving you. When you wake up in the morning tomorrow, you'll wake up being a beloved disciple. The one whom Jesus loves. And so it'll be for every moment for the rest of your life, in your high times, in your low times, in your great triumphs, in your great failures, in your moments where things have gone right and all your hopes seem like they're being fulfilled, and in your times of disappointment. The most important part of your life is Jesus. Always. And even after you are dead and gone, the most important part of your story is now and forever will be the great love of Jesus. Do you believe it? Jesus says, the sickness will not end in death because he knows what he will do for Lazarus because he knows of his great love for Lazarus, right? He says, no, this is a story about how God, God's glory is revealed. How's God's glory revealed? Not some shining light. In a sister filled with grief, proclaiming that still 
she believes. God's glory isn't in a thunderclap in this story. It's in the whisper of someone who says, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. God's glory in this story is revealed with a weeping Jesus and other people seeing and saying, see how he loved him. Faith, hope, and love and the glory of God. Your story, too, is not meant to end in death. Your story. Wherever you are, whether you're in that moment of feeling like things are finally good and you're finally over the hump, or whether you're in that moment of deep disappointment because your hopes aren't panning out like you thought, your story is not meant to end in death. The same profound love that Jesus has for Lazarus is true for you too. And God wants your story to be a story of the glory of God being revealed through your faith and your hope, through your love and through His. If you wish to come today to take a step towards the great love of Jesus, come while we stand and sing together.